Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Guys, welcome back to another epic episode of For the Love of Money, an episode that I am really excited about because I get to sit down today with multi-millionaire Joey Fazio. But before I do, I have to remind you that tickets are selling out quickly to The Bliss Project, a women's empowerment event, a transformation event put on by my incredible wife where if you need an up-leveling in your life and you want it to happen in one weekend, well, that weekend is in March and it's called The Bliss Project. And you can only find out about it by going to theblissproject.info. Again, theblissproject.info. All right, so let's dive into our interview today because Joey has so much incredible information to share with you. I mean, he is this multimillionaire who owns a ton of restaurants, a bunch of crunch fitness gyms. He's built and sold a huge gym management company. He owns a big supplement company and a celebrity branding and marketing company working with incredible artists, people that you would know. But he got his start by serving in the military. How cool is that? And then at age 26, he found himself a disabled veteran sleeping on an air mattress. He found himself broke, divorced, and below ground zero starting over. And so we talk about that moment and we talk about what do you do with a relationship where you love the person, but they are holding you back because he's been through it and he has a very clear answer for you on it. And then we get into the one thing that entrepreneurs are missing, but how you can get it. And we also talk about his incredible view on how he views money and our responsibility to be wealthy enough to help the masses. So guys, seriously, listen up, get ready, because this episode is full of breakthroughs. All right, Joey, my man, thank you so much for making some time to be on. Appreciate it. Hey, no problem. It's a pleasure, Chris. It's funny, we have a mutual friend that introduced us, and the minute she sent me a couple articles about you and, and I stalked your Instagram profile, I'm like, oh, this dude, he and I will get along. So I'm really excited to do this interview and I'm especially excited to do it because of some of the incredible causes that you are involved with and, and we're going to get there in a couple of minutes. But before we get into all that, before we dive into your incredible business accomplishments and all the great stuff you're doing, I know everyone's going to want to hear your story because from what I understand, it's a heck of a story that went from sleeping on air mattresses to being in the military to where you are now. Do you mind giving us the, uh, the, the background? Yeah, I'll try and condense it uh, as much as possible. But I would say that uh, I had a pretty atypical life. Um, I grew up the son of a Marine Corps officer. So I grew up moving around as a kid, got to see some cool places, lived in Hawaii for three and a half years, ended up in North Carolina. Uh, having been born in New York and then living in Hawaii, you can imagine North Carolina being uh, one of those environments that uh, I had to warm up to. Um, definitely country, rural. Uh, the city is Jacksonville, North Carolina. It's one of the larger Marine Corps bases in the world. It's actually uh, Camp Lejeune. 
And, um, you know, so growing up in a really small town with a large military presence, um, you get accustomed to things that I think normal people don't, they can't even fathom in some regard. Um, my father being a, an artillery officer was deployed 12 of the 17 years I was in his house. So not to say that I didn't have a dad, but my dad was gone a lot. And this is at a time before social media, before cell phones, before Skype, it was really hard to keep in touch. You know, uh, even even letters were hard to receive. You know, he's at, at war. I mean, this is Operation Iraqi Freedom. This is fighting Saddam Hussein. And uh, so it was a pretty volatile childhood in the sense that uh, he left when I was 12. He was gone for almost three years for that stint. And um, it was a very trying time because, you know, every morning at roll call, they would call kids to the office to let them know that their father or brother or uncle had been killed in combat. That was a very violent war. And so every day you're just sitting there in your seat praying that you don't hear your name called. And the town, Jacksonville, um, just a really depressing place at that time. You know, you drive around and there's uh, sheets hung up over fences and signs and RIP, we miss you, daddy, or please come home, dad. Um, so you're constantly reminded of it. The, the realness of the whole situation. And it really toughens you. I mean, it gives you, you know, very thick skin. It forces you to grow up early at the possibility that, you know, your dad may never come home again. And um, so that made me the man of the house. I was the oldest of two. I have a younger brother. And with dad gone, I was the shoulder for my mother to cry on. I was the dad my little brother needed. and uh, And that left me to pretty much you know, pick up the slack. Um, you know, I'm doing all the, the manly chores around the house, you know, mowing the lawn and helping my little brother with his homework at the same time, trying to figure out adulthood myself, you know, transitioning from 12 to almost 16 when my dad did come home. Um, the problem with having a father that's been to war is that when they come home, they're not the same. You know, PTSD, for those that aren't familiar with it, post-traumatic stress disorder, is very real. And when my dad did come home, you know, I was still that little boy. Even though I'm almost 16, I revert mentally back to being 11 and 12 when he left. And I'm expecting, yay, I'm getting my dad back. And he comes back a completely different person, a very physically and emotionally abusive person, uh, at the time, I didn't understand why or how that could happen. Now, of course, I understand it all too well. But uh, yeah, so that was my reality as a teenager. And I'm not going to go into too much detail on what happened uh, from you know 15 to 17. I'll just say that at 17 years old, I moved out of my parents' house. And I've been on my own since. At 20 years old, I dropped out of college. I was at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. I dropped out to join the military myself. I became a computer programmer. I was a programmer for six years in the military, two outside of the military. So for eight years, uh, I was involved in the IT field. I did finish my degree uh, in associates in computer science and a bachelor's in human resources management. 
And from there, I went on to, uh, as you mentioned, sleeping on a floor. Um, I, I did. I slept on the floor in my mother's house on an air mattress for two years out of the military. Um, life was very difficult for me. I went through a messy divorce. You know, I married my high school sweetheart, had two kids, decided that I was going to separate from the military and pursue my own business ventures, which I had always wanted to do. I always knew that was the route that I was going to go. But like most of us entrepreneurs and anyone else who has those aspirations, I didn't have the capital. So it took me eight years, the eight years that I speak of, to raise the capital to be able to do that for myself. But I had a wife who didn't uh, see the same vision I did, wanted that safety net, the security of the military and and the life that we had built together, and didn't uh, support my entrepreneurial aspirations. So she left, and being the the guy that I am, raised in the way that I was, uh, I sold everything we had, gave her everything we had, and opted to start over ground up from literally nothing. I actually took our joint debt as well on top of uh, some company debt and credit cards and other things. So I had a negative net worth (laughs) and I left my secure job to pursue the unknown. So not only did I have a negative net worth, but I didn't even have a job and I had, you know, responsibilities like child support and other things. So yeah, literally sleeping on a floor with no money in the bank and no net worth, no assets, and and started over. And this was uh, at 26 years old. Um, thankfully, life worked out the way that, that I envisioned it would. Maybe not, not in the exact way, but overall, big picture, uh, I had enough faith in myself to believe that what I wanted to do was possible. And uh, I was a millionaire before 30, a multimillionaire at 30. And uh, so now at almost 37 years old, uh, I've owned and operated uh, near 30 companies and have been very fortunate. Joey, that's an incredible story and it's going to motivate a lot of people that might feel down and out right now that in a very short amount of time, right? Totally broke at age 26 with a negative net worth, like you said, and and multimillionaire at age 30. That's a relatively short time. So you're already reaching a lot of the listeners. I have to ask you, what were you feeling like when you were getting a divorce? You had a negative net worth. Did you feel like, I know what I'm capable of and I know where I'm going to end up? Or did you feel like, oh shit, I'm screwed? Yeah. So honestly, it's it's a roller coaster. You feel both emotions. You feel on one hand, you feel like you were destined for more. And and on the other hand, at the exact same time, you question whether what you want is even possible. You know, I had a wife who would actually call me pathetic, who would actually tell me that I was a dreamer and that what I wanted was not possible and um, would tell me that I was living for the future and that she needed me for now. Looking back, I don't blame her. You know, she was she's a great mother. I, I really don't have many bad things to say about her. We didn't end our marriage because of cheating or beating or drugs or anything like that. She truly believed that I was putting our family at risk. Now, mind you, this is a person who I got together with when I was 17 and she was 15. We grew up together. So at 26 and 24, when we're divorcing and we have an infant child and a three and a half year old, um, 
her priority was her family, as was mine, but we disagreed on the way to provide for our family. She thought that the safe, secure, uh, military route was the best way for us to provide for our family because it had medical and it was a good job and I had no real threat of losing my job. And so her priority was to take care of the family. My priority was to take care of my family, but I wanted to do it uh, on a much larger scale. And I knew that it would take a lot of hard work and time. And I was willing to invest that, but I needed my partner to truly support me on that decision because it was going to take a team effort. And unfortunately, you know, we didn't have the same goal and same vision and, Ultimately, that's what split us up. You know, neither of us were willing to compromise. I was not willing to sit in a cubicle any longer. I wasn't willing to be controlled by the government. And, uh, and ultimately, she wasn't willing to stand by my side because, you know, I was working sometimes 18, even 20 hours a day. I mean, there were nights that I didn't go to sleep until 2 a.m. and woke up at 5 a.m. So we didn't really have much of a relationship personally. And uh, so I look back and I don't blame her. She was not wrong. But consequently, if your partner, the person you love and trust, is calling you pathetic and telling you you will not succeed and you're going to lose everything, you do start to believe it. So to answer your question, both. You know, there were days where I, I did not believe that what I wanted was possible and I thought that I needed to hang it up and, you know, reenlist in the military and, and just live that life. And then on other days I thought, you know what, F this. No, I'm going to get exactly what I want. I know what I'm capable of. And if it takes me cutting off everyone in my life to do it, then that's what I need to do. And so, uh, that is what I did. Um, yeah. Joey, this is one of the most important topics that entrepreneurs face. And I want to frame it for you. First of all, your perspective of this is incredible. You've been through it. You made it through it in a big, big way. And I get hundreds and hundreds of messages asking me questions literally about this topic. My spouse doesn't support me. I've got big dreams, but I love them. What should I do? Or, yeah. you know, this person in my life who I care about is holding me back, but I love them. What should I do? You've been there, done that. So what is your advice to somebody listening right now that is in that my situation where they love somebody who is very yes. close to them and it's holding them back from their dreams and happiness? Yes. So, so my advice is this time is the most valuable resource that any of us have. Okay. It is not your spouse. It is not your parents. It's not the money you have. It is time. And if you're an entrepreneur who's sitting on that fence and you don't know where to go, let me tell you right now that time is going to pass whether you act or not. And if you don't act, you will take that regret, that aggression, that, that hate, whatever it is boiling inside of you that you've been held back from doing what you want, and you will turn on the people closest to you because they stopped you from doing that. So don't take time for granted. Even if you allow yourself to stay in that purgatory for another three years or five years or 10 years, eventually you're going to erupt and eventually you are going to want to pursue those dreams. And if you never do, you're just going to take that out on the person you love anyways. It's going to end messy. Time will not be on your side 10 years, 20 years from now. My advice is act now. 
the sooner the better. All you can do is sit them down and plead with them to believe in you and have your back and, and make the compromise. You know, maybe they have some fear on their own that they're going to lose you or that their time will be compromised or whatever their fear is. You have to find that middle ground. But if they simply will not side with you on this, my advice is leave because couples that share goals and have the same vision have a much higher chance of succeeding in a relationship than those that have separate goals. Uh, you know, I gave my wife the opportunity to support me in every way I offered for us to homeschool the children. You know, my career required a lot of travel. I told her I would do everything in my power to keep us together, even if it meant her and the kids traveling, even if we, you know, got nannies or whatever it took, you know, I, I actually begged. The funny thing is I was 26 and I literally begged, crying, begging. I said, give me 10 years. I will give you the rest of my life. At 36 years old, I will retire if that's what you want. Our kids will be 13 and nine. I will give you the rest of my life. We will live an extraordinary life. I made a commitment to you till death do us part for better or for worse. I will give you that, but give me 10 years. She didn't give it to me. And because I had the strength to allow the divorce to happen, not that she gave me much of a choice, she left, but because I allowed it to happen and I, and I made it happen swiftly because I did that, that 10 years is up. I was 26, I'm 36 now. And at 36, if today I chose to retire, financially I could. I hit every goal that I wanted to hit. I actually surpassed those goals. And I would have made every promise that I ever made come true. So with that being said, you know, if you don't have the partner that supports you, that believes in you, that sees your vision, if you don't have that, leave. As hard as it is, leave. You're doing them a favor too. You know, she has now uh, found someone that is more in line with her line of thinking, someone more safe, more of a nine to five type partner that's home for dinner every night, weekends. That was never me. That was never going to be me. If you're that entrepreneur that doesn't mind working seven days a week, if you're that person that absolutely will not settle, you need someone that not only supports you in that way, but thinks you're amazing for being that way. You know, we're the minority. Not everybody can work 16 hours a day. Not everybody will work weekends. Not everybody will put it all on the line to make their dreams a reality. But you will find someone that thinks you're amazing for wanting to be that person. So, that, that's my advice, and it's hard advice. I know it's really tough to swallow. Imagine my case. This was my high school sweetheart. You know, um, I didn't even know. I had one girlfriend before her. I, I didn't even know who I was. You know, I mean, God, I married the second girl that, that I, I was ever with. So uh, it was extremely hard for me to make that decision. But ultimately, I believe it was the right decision. It's made me who I am today. And, um, and like I said, I don't have many bad things to say about her. Uh, we have raised our kids, you know, I think as good as any divorced couple possibly could. 
thankfully for me, you know, my life has worked out uh, tremendously. But yeah, that's my advice. Awesome. That's my advice. Leave. I absolutely, uh, I just thank you for addressing that topic in depth like that being so vulnerable. It is one of the biggest hangups that people get stuck on right now. And so we could end the podcast right here and it would be <laughs> worth it. People to have so many breakthroughs. I also want to touch on another significant part of your life. So you served six years in the Air Force and yes. um, you left due to um, a disability discharge. Is that right? Okay. Uh, I actually left to take care of my mother. My mother had a stroke and was living by herself and could not take care of herself. So I got a miscellaneous discharge. Um, it is honorable. I, I, there was nothing dishonorable about the way I left. I am a disabled vet. Uh, I, I did sustain injury while in um, that uh, has me uh, getting paid. I get benefits for the rest of my life. I am a disabled vet. Um, but that is not why I separated. I separated, I only had four months left on my contract. I had made staff sergeant and had the option of reenlisting. I actually finished my degree and had the option of going officer. And by every measure, I chose to end my contract. So I did not leave, uh, because they were forcing me out. I, I opted to, to get out. Okay, cool. So what did you learn in the military that you use today? You know, honestly, so this is something I want to address. I'm glad you asked. Uh, for entrepreneurs, I believe one of the things that most of us, and I include me in this category, lack or lacked, uh, is discipline. I chose to drop out of college to join the military because I knew that no one could hold me accountable, okay? Nobody, not, not police, not teachers, not my parents, not even myself. I literally had to force myself into a situation that would hold me accountable uh, because I would find ways around everything. I would find shortcuts. You know, if you have a high IQ, you're gonna find ways to do things differently or more efficiently. Um, a lot of time that means skipping out on, you know, the steps one through five, you'll find the quickest way to step five. And in business, you can't do that. You can't skip, skip steps. You have to go through the steps. You got to be at the bottom. You have to learn every position. You have to be the smartest person in the room. You have to have an attention to detail that won't allow any mistakes. So the military did teach me that. It did force me to pay attention. It did force me to be patient. And by all measures, it forced me to put up with something that I hated day in and day out repetitively, which turned out to be quite necessary to be successful in business. You know, I dreaded waking up at 5 a.m. every day to go to a job I really didn't want to go to. Um, but it, it was so necessary. Even today, you know, I mean, it allows me to push through things that I don't think I would have been able to had I not had that experience. Um, at the same time, look, I got to serve my country. You know, who wouldn't be proud of that? I wore the uniform and I wore it proudly. I was active duty during a time of war. I mean, I signed up in February 2001. I was at Langley Air Force Base, which uh, anyone that knows anything about the military or our government, you know, Langley 
is uh, the CIA and NASA headquarters. I worked at the 82nd, so I worked in a in a you know IT centric squadron, but um, I had a top secret clearance. I got to see some really cool stuff, do some really cool stuff. I played pretty integral roles uh, in our defense post 9/11. Um, I don't know anybody that w- wouldn't be proud to serve your country and truly contribute. But for me, the real benefit that came of my time served was the discipline. It was. I don't know where I'd be, to be completely honest, had I not been anchored down by a family and by the uniform, I don't know that I'd be where I, I am today. That's I think incre- mentally I was capable, but So I that's incredible. That. What about the people who haven't had military service? And by the way, thank you for your service. One of my biggest regrets is that I broke that tradition in my family and I did not serve. Um, yeah. But what about those who did not serve? Where can they develop that discipline from that you say is crucial to succeeding in business? Uh, you know, you have to rely on yourself. That is going to be a major roadblock for a lot of those budding entrepreneurs out there. Um, you know, if you don't have that strong corporate background, look, I'm not an advocate of college. Okay. That's a whole other podcast we could talk about, but structured education, I believe is flawed. Um, but the one benefit to me of a formal education is that you develop some discipline. You have classes that, you know, now you're an adult, you have to choose to go to those classes every day. Um, you know, I, there aren't many ways, I guess, from going from teenage to becoming an adult, going from uh, being employed to being an employer. You need to find whatever structure it is that that you're willing to do. You need to find it. Most people can't hold themselves accountable. The military is one of those ways. I think to some degree, a committed relationship such as marriage uh, is another, but if you just don't have those things and you can't do it, um, yourself commit to a job, whatever job it is to start at the bottom and work your way up. You know, the way that, that I I look at it is if you're going to be the owner of whatever, a Denny's, I own, I own four Denny's restaurants. Uh, and I actually did go through the 16 week Denny's manager training. I worked inside of a Denny's. I mopped floors. I served coffee. I did that for free for 16 weeks. I had to pass a course uh, with a 90 or higher on the Denny's manual. Um, I did that. I went through that. And if you're going to open a Denny's and you're not willing to work every position in the Denny's, you're never going to be as successful as you could be. Okay. So if you want that discipline, then go and get it do it yourself. If you're not willing to join the military or you don't have that structure, you weren't, you know, raised in a, in a military environment or, or just had parents that held you accountable. If you didn't have that, you need to get that and you need to do it in the field that you plan on being in. And you need to start from the bottom, work every position. When I said, be the smartest person in the room, what that means is you can answer any question, you know, every scenario. I don't mean you, you have to have the highest IQ in the room you just need to be knowledgeable on any possible outcome or situation that pertains to your business. So if you want to own a restaurant, go work in a restaurant, start as a host, start as a waiter, struggle a little bit. You know, we don't need to drive Ferraris from day one, pick an economical car, downsize your life 
to the, the bare bones, the absolute minimum, and work your way up. It'll pay huge dividends in the end if you force yourself to be humble in the beginning. Huge dividends. Man, I absolutely love it. So you talked about how many, wait, how many Denny's do you own? Four. Okay. Uh, and I also own the real estate. So I own the buildings that the Denny's are in and I own the ATMs inside of them. And so just in those four, there's, uh, you know, 12. That's incredible. Yeah, so you own the management company that manages them. And so, yeah, you own all those restaurants. You own, also own a bunch of crunch fitness gyms. Uh, you built and sold a huge gym management company, you own a supplement company, a sub celebrity branding and marketing company. Out of all these different things, one would look and say, they're all so diverse. Like, how, you know, how does he know how to do all this? So which one is your favorite? Uh, fitness, you know, I, I've been in music. The, I started a record label when I was in my teens. I actually was recording artists out of my closet uh, in my dorm room. A little padded closet that I drilled a hole through a wall. I had a little microphone hooked up to the computer. And uh, my partners and I had two friends. I mean, we were all rapping. I thought I was going to be the Italian Eminem when I was 16. <laughs> but I, I quickly learned I, I didn't have the, the, the skills for that. But <laughs> I was the most business savvy of my friends. So I decided to be the manager of the group. And we had a producer, a rapper, and then myself, the manager. And we ended up getting a marketing guy who was our producer's brother. And we kind of built our own little record label. And, um, you know, I... Uh, would record artists. We put their music on CDs. There was a company called Disc Makers back then where you could, you know, send your music off and for a dollar a disc, roughly, they would send you back a, a plastic wrapped CD. And we were literal, I mean, by all sense of the word, backpack rappers, right? We had these mixtapes and we had CDs in our backpacks and we would be at the mall, at school, in clubs, selling our CDs. And that was a large uh, reason why I dropped out of college. You know, uh, we saved up $10,000 and, uh, and ordered 10,000 CDs. And in three months, we sold all 10,000 CDs and brought back about $80,000. So if you can imagine being a 19-year-old college student in the 90s and turning 10,000 into 80,000, going back 18 years ago, uh, college seems a lot less appealing. You know, <laughs> yeah. $80,000 in three months by today's standards wouldn't be bad. Uh, 18 years ago, that, that was about quarter of a million. That's so insane. doing that in three months, you know, I, I'm now listening to my teachers trying to tell me about life. And all I could think was, I make more than you do. Yeah, I just made in three months more than you make in a year. My dad is a lieutenant colonel in the military. I make more than he makes a year. Um, I did in three months. I mean, annualized, that's, you know, that's over $300,000 if I repeated that every quarter. So I joined the Air Force to become a computer programmer. It was very specific. I kind of saw where music was going. I kind of had the idea for iTunes before iTunes. You know, I wanted to find a way to get music online. I mean, the internet wasn't what it is now. I mean, Yahoo was the search engine. There was no social media. Facebook didn't exist. Uh, there was no apps, no smartphones. So I knew where it was going, though. And, um, you know, I, I just uh, I just committed. I committed to that. And I, that's why I joined the Air Force. And um, 
So sorry, sorry for getting sidetracked there. But. No, you. I mean, you, you answered it perfectly. So where did this insane entrepreneurial drive from come from? Is it just literally because you tasted that huge financial success in college and it was game on from there, or? No, I. You know, if I could have dropped out of school at twelve years old, I would have. <laughs> um, I, I I never wanted to be in school or work for someone else. Um, I always wanted to be a businessman. Always. Not even understanding the financial rewards of being a businessman. I, I just knew that I had to own businesses. You know, you you asked me what my favorite business was, and um, it's it's anything that I've been passionate about. And of course, throughout our lives, passions change. I, I would say that music is still a very very large part of my life. I still work with musicians, still make music. Uh, have a studio here in Arizona called Salt Mine Studios. We record for pretty much everyone. Um, fitness has been a huge passion of mine. So, you know, that's been fun. And uh, I'm developing Phoenix for Crunch Fitness. So this is my market. And uh, I'm going to open gyms all over Phoenix and also in, in some other areas. So, you know, anything that I'm passionate about. And I know that's going to change more. Look, I have all intentions of being philanthropic later in life. And I'm sure that uh, that will replace you know, the, the passion that I have for these other industries, but I've always known this is me always. I, I haven't changed much, you know, uh, which was shocking not to double back to the situation with my ex-wife, but it was shocking that she didn't support me when time came because that was the guy she met at 17. I was the one talking about how I was going to own businesses and how I'd never work for anyone else. And, um, it's why I stepped up to, to manage my friends in the in the music venture because that was me. That was always me to kind of take charge. Um, I was the captain of my soccer team in high school. We won state. I was I was the MVP of the team and we, we were state champions. And uh, it was because I could put people in their places. That's kind of always been my role in life. You know, I think my talent has a lot less to do with my own skill sets. I think it has a lot more to do with identifying other people's skill sets and being able to put people in the right places and being able to cultivate that, that teamwork, um, that true family and culture. Um, so yeah, it's always been me. This is who I am. This is who I, I've always been. And when people will ask, uh, what did you want to be when you grow up? It was never anything else. I, I can honestly never say I even knew what types of businesses I wanted to own. It was never defined for me. I never said, oh, I want to, I want to own an auto business. I want to own a restaurant. I want to own a hotel. Never. I just knew I wanted to own stuff. So now, you know, I am diversified. I'm all over the place and I love it and I wouldn't have it any other way. That is awesome. It's so funny how much you and I actually have in common. So you mentioned <laughs> philanthropy and one of the ways I found you was there's an article recognizing the work you do as a disabled veteran yourself, helping other disabled vets with PTSD, which is a huge passion of yours. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So, uh, I was introduced to a gentleman here in Phoenix who allocates funding towards uh, organizations or individuals that help with post-traumatic stress disorder-based uh, businesses um, or ventures. And the company is Guardians for Heroes. It was actually founded 
um, by Chris Kyle's brother. Uh, Chris Kyle, of course, probably the most prolific sniper in American history, yeah. was killed uh, by uh, a former soldier with PTSD. And his brother started Guardians for Heroes. And there's been a lot of research done on how to cure PTSD through not only colostrum, which is found in, in breast milk, but by coupling colostrum, fitness, because it releases endorphins and you know, serotonin levels increase, therapy, of course, being able to get it out, um, and then vacation, just relaxation, uh, being able to unwind, being able to be in, in scenic and peaceful environments. The combination of those four things have been proven to be very successful in not only reducing PTSD, but as we're now finding out, curing PTSD. Uh, the colostrum, if it doesn't make sense to anybody, you know, a, a good example is uh, babies are born with PTSD. Imagine how traumatic that is for a newborn to be in the womb, comfortable, that's what they've known, and now they're, they're out into the world. Children are literally born with PTSD. So colostrum, the found in breast milk, that hormone helps reduce PTSD from birth. Uh, so it's kind of one of those cool evolution things. Um, but yeah, so working with Guardians for Heroes here in, in Phoenix, I'm actually utilizing my Crunch Fitness gyms to help PTSD. So my involvement is I partner with this organization and we give 1500 members per gym free memberships. So there any veteran, any disabled veteran in the area can sign up for this program and I give them free memberships to Crunch Fitness. They can come in, they can use the facilities. We have hydro massage, we have 40 proprietary courses. So that's the fitness component of the four-pronged approach to curing PTSD. And it's awesome for me to be able to do that for them because not only am I one of them, but I grew up with a father who had very extreme PTSD. So I've seen it ruin lives and break apart families. And uh, so this is just awesome for me to be a part of this initiative. But yeah, it's, it's uh, Guardians for Heroes. That's uh, absolutely incredible. Where can we find out more about Guardians for Heroes? Um, I believe they have a website. I think maybe just Googling Guardians for Heroes. I'm sure it'll pop up. Anybody that's truly interested in being involved can contact me direct. And uh, I'd love you know, to involve anybody that truly wants to make a difference. Because uh, like I said, PTSD is very real. It breaks apart families and, and ruins people's lives. Uh, suicide is very high amongst military members. Um, PTSD affects not only military, but police, firemen. Um, anybody that's been through extreme trauma faces it. So I think what will happen is once we, you know, proof of concept, right? Once we validate that this works, I think we'll be able to take this to other facets of life and help people all over. It's absolutely incredible. So, you know, the majority of listeners to this podcast are entrepreneurs um, working on their dreams, and they all have the common thread of being really generous and wanting to make a difference exactly what you're doing. 
would you be able to make as big of a difference as you are right now? You know, giving away the free memberships and, and all this stuff that you're doing. If you weren't this successful first? No, no. Jay-Z, not to, not to refer to a hip hop song, but Jay-Z actually has a line that says, uh, you, you can't, uh, feed the homeless if you're one of them. Right. Mm, yes. I so mean, good. I, I can't cure hunger if I'm hungry. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know that everybody would agree with some of my views. You know, if we got deeper on this topic, um, I'm not going to get into politics, you know, right wing, left wing, wing, liberal, conservative. I mean, all that. What I will say is if you have the opportunity to put yourself in a position of power, in a position that could truly help people and make a difference, do it. I don't care what it takes to do it. You know, it's Sandra, the, the girl that introduced us, her and I just had this conversation this past weekend because she was conflicted about taking pictures with my G-Wagon. She says, you know, I, I don't want to do it. She wanted a picture and she says, but you know, I don't know, should I, should I not do it? You know, this is just such an amazing experience for me. I, I love this car. I want a picture. I want to remember. And she's like, but I don't even think I'd be able to post it because I don't want to create, you know, that uh, false impression of people watching me that sees that I'm in a G wagon and now thinks that I'm living a lifestyle that's not authentic. And I want to motivate and inspire people for the right reasons. And I said, Sandra, stop. No, stop right there. You're getting in your own way. Okay. Making a difference is making a difference. What more authentic do you need? The message that you're sending is real. You truly want to help people. So if in this superficial world that we live in, it takes you posting a picture with a $150,000 car to get people's attention, who cares as long as you get their attention? Because the message that you're going to send thereafter is an important one. If your goal is to help people and change their lives, well, first, you need their attention. You need a megaphone. You need, you need them to hear what you have to say. And if that's the way you have to, to you know, capture their attention, then by all means, do it. So I, I feel the same way about success, about money, about opportunity, all of it. All of it. I don't care what it is you have to do to get there. Get there because you can't help anybody from the bottom. Okay, you can try and you may help a handful of people, but look, it would be better to you know go through life a little rocky, riding a roller coaster, ups and downs. You're not going to please everybody. You're not going to be able to help everybody. You may even piss some people off. Fine, but if you piss off 10 people to help a million, do it. God, I love it. Everything you just said is exactly what this freaking podcast stands for. So sum it up for us. How do you view money? What does money mean to you? Honestly, again, another conversation we could just go on and on. I'm going to sound like a crazy person go to for a it. lot of people. This is your platform, man. Money doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It doesn't. Um, it's not about the money. It's about opportunity. More money equals more opportunity. More money also equals more problems and more stress and more drama. You have a, a bullseye on your forehead. But 
Look, I, I'm with Elon Musk and a lot of other really smart people that believe there won't be an Earth in in a hundred years. Okay, so with population increases, let's deduce that three percent of America's population in a hundred years will actually be living on Mars. Okay, I'm going way off topic. This is going to lose a lot of people, but but like you said, my platform. So three percent. You got about six hundred thousand people in 100 years, will actually be living on Mars. Okay, well, what is that 3% uh, derived of? It's, it's the smartest people. You got high IQs, the beautiful people that come along with the powerful and rich people. Okay, so what does money mean to me? Money to me is a ticket on that space shuttle for my bloodline to get to Mars. That's it. That's it, because me and my life, I'm not going to see that day. Okay, I'm not going to be here 100 years from now. I'll be lucky to be here 50 years from now. Okay, It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It's just an opportunity for my bloodline to live on. I'm actually very modest. I live way below my means. I spend about 10% of what I make, and I invest the other 90. Okay, It's really whatever it takes to make as much money as possible to provide my bloodline the opportunity to move forward, to just exist. Now, let's say everybody's wrong, okay, and, and Earth is still here and doing just fine in 100 years, and all these initiatives from all the richest and smartest people on Earth to cultivate Mars, it's all bullshit. Pardon my language. <laughs> Go for it. Well, what's, what's the worst case? I lived my life making as much money as possible to allow my children and their children more opportunity here. Fine. It goes right back to the same thing we just talked about. You can't help people if you're on the bottom. So if I've socked away a couple billion dollars for my family, well, hopefully they take that. Hopefully I raised them right and instilled the right morals and ethics. And hopefully they take that and help as many people as they can with it. Okay. There's no downside <laughs> to, to my plan, whether we're on Mars or not. But, but it really is about that. This is really for them. This isn't even about me. Okay. I'm, I'm fine. I drive the cars I want to drive. I can live anywhere I want to live and I get to keep opening new businesses. My life is great. I don't even need the money that I make now. I make money now so that I can reinvest and that's it. I'm just investing to invest more and more and more and I know how to make money and I'm going to make as much of it as I possibly can just to provide further protection and padding for the next generation to allow them to do what they need to do. And hopefully what they do is either live on, hopefully the bloodline lives on, or we're here, and then they can just help as many people as they can here. And that's it. That's it. That is absolutely incredible. You know, we have some of my parents that listen to this as well. You mentioned you have children. How do you want your yes. kids to grow up viewing money and opportunity? Uh, my kids have been taught from day one that family is more valuable than money. Um, they don't hold a lot of value on money. I've got a story actually um, to illustrate that. I had the four-door Bentley, the Arnage. Uh, this is a couple years back. But I had a driver, and I had my children being picked up in an Arnage every day after school. And one day, my daughter was 
very quiet. I mean, to the point of uh, she was on the verge of tears. Okay, and you know, I'm, I'm I'm asking her, Mercedes, what's the matter? Why, you know, why are you so quiet today, baby? Something's wrong, and I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And so I'd let it go on, and you know, then I'd reapproach it. You know, baby, you know, please talk to me. What's going on? And she says, the kids at school make fun of me. When your driver comes and picks us up, they say, there goes the rich girl, and they point at me, and they laugh, and then the next day they make fun of me, and I'm so sick of it, Dad. I, I hate this. Why can't you pick me up in a normal car? Why do you have to have a driver pick us up? Why? Okay, so here I am, business guy, think I'm doing the right thing, um, you know, putting my business first, not being there to pick them up myself, uh, thinking that they would be proud to get picked up in a car like that, when really uh, it was causing them emotional distress and it was sending the wrong message. And that's not even what we're about. I never taught them to value material things. I never taught them to value money. And so here it is actually backfiring on me, um, making me look one, hypocritical, but two, bringing them unwanted attention. And so you ask, how do my kids view money? Well, my daughter and I are friends on Instagram. You know, we like each other's pics. I keep up with all the comments on her page and vice versa. And she sees me with professional athletes and celebrities. She's met a lot of them. And I can tell you right now that neither of my daughters put money before family. Neither of my daughters aspire to be wealthy or, uh, you know, they're, they're not looking for careers that'll maximize the amount of money that they make per year. They've been raised to believe in helping people. They've been taught to go after their passions I've told them that I don't care if they're a school teacher or a stay-at-home mom. I don't care. Just just do it with passion, do it with love, and you know, always put family first. So that's my role. My job is to worry about money. I just need to teach them what to do with the money once they have it. You know, I don't I don't want them to grow up focusing on money. I want them to enjoy their childhood. I want them to play sports, which they both do. I want them to care about other people. I want them to preserve some of that pureness and innocence that I believe is lost in the world. Anybody that's on social media knows that the youth of today are probably the most selfish, uh, superficial generation to have ever existed. And I just don't want that for my kids. So there will be a time and place for them to understand the value of money. And they're seeing it. I mean, they can't turn a blind eye to the fact that I own these companies. They know what it's about. You know, I teach them the value of money, but I, I don't want them to uh, to idolize it. I don't want them to place a higher value on money than their core ethics and moral beliefs. And so, you know, hopefully it works out, but they'll be in a position to help people financially. And I just hope, you know, that when it comes time for them to do so, they make the right decisions. But I think I'm raising them. I love to it. To be able to do that. I love it. Sounds like lucky kids. So a couple of last uh, quick questions here. One of them is is a question I ask everybody, and I love the different okay. answers. I call it two minutes of bragging, and I say it in a, a funny way. It's really meant to inspire more giving by all of the listeners out there. So what is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? Mm -hmm. All-time favorite moments of giving. Um, 
it's kind of bittersweet to be honest. Uh, I would say my all time favorite moment when I was in the military, I didn't have much. Okay. My wife and I shared a car. Uh, we had our, our daughter very young. I was 22. She was 20. And, um, you know, I was a E three. So at that time I'm making about, I don't know, 18,000 a year and trying to raise a family. So we lived in a small apartment. We had one car that we shared and there was a, a local Walmart we went to to pick up our groceries and, and things like that. And as you can imagine, uh, we didn't need out much. So we were at Walmart getting groceries every week and eating ramen noodles and beans and rice and stuff like I'm sure a lot of people. And there was a homeless guy uh, actually had a, a hunchback. And um, he had a little tent set up in the woods behind the Walmart. And embarrassingly enough, I only met him because uh, one day I went back there to uh, uh, piss. Sorry for being so vulgar. <laughs> but I went back there and I saw the tent and I saw this guy. And, um, you know, he, <laughs> he approached me while I was done asking me for change. And so I gave him some that day. And we ended up having, you know, a, a brief conversation. You know, I just, for whatever reason, I, I just giving him money wasn't enough. I actually wanted to get to know this guy. So I'm back there, you know, for 10 minutes. My wife is worried about me. She, you know, I get to the car and she's like, what took you so long? Where were you, you know? And I told her that I'd met a guy in a tent behind a Walmart. And um, so long story short, I would go visit this guy weekly and I would bring him clothes and I'd give him money. And when I, I did grocery shopping in the Walmart, I would bring him food. And um, when I say it's bittersweet, you know, it, it ended up being one of the saddest moments of my life. Uh, Virginia gets pretty cold and it was wintertime. And for whatever reason, on the way home from work one day, um, I, I just had this feeling that I needed to see him. And I called my wife and I said, hey, you know, um, I really want to allow that, that guy, you know, it's supposed to be really, really cold tonight. Is it okay if he stayed with us? Um, and she said, absolutely not, you know, which rightfully, okay. And so I went to Walmart and I bought one of those uh, really thick blankets and I went to give it to him and he wasn't there. Went behind the, the Walmart and, and the tent was gone and he wasn't there. And um, so I'm asking the employees of the Walmart, you know, I'm going in there and I'm like, hey. And I found someone that actually said uh, they were out there earlier uh, picking him up, that he had actually died. Oh. He had actually froze. Yeah. Um, and and died. You know, it, it was actually snowing. Um, and they said that then he you know, had passed away. So really bittersweet. I, I loved helping him. And the more that I, I gave and just helped and talked to him, it just felt better and better and better. Um, and then, you know, him passing away gave me that empty feeling like I hadn't done enough. And I think that was honestly one of those situations that changes you as a person um, where I just learned, you know, to either a give from afar and not get too emotionally attached because you open yourself up or if you're going to help go all in, you know? Um, so that's kind of, I still to this day uh, kind of live by that philosophy. I mean, if I'm going to commit to helping someone or helping a cause, 
I'm going to make sure I leave it all out there on the line. Um, or I'm just going to give from a distance, you know, I don't need any recognition. No one even has to know I do it. Um, I'll just give and, and just, you know, keep it moving. I mean, around the holidays I'll tip hundred dollar bills, uh, to cabbies or, or waiters or waitresses or just random people that need it, you know, little things like that make a difference or I'll donate to causes and not let anyone know that I did it or, you know, um, but if you're, if you're going to commit, then commit, go all in, don't leave yourself, you know, half in, half out. And then, and then wish you did more. I love that. I love that. Okay. Right before the last question, everyone's going to want to know where to find you, where to follow you, um, you know, how to support you. Uh, I, I would say Instagram is probably the best way to follow what I'm doing and contact me. My Instagram is Joey, J-O-E-Y, Fazio, F as in Frank, A-Z-I-O, 13. Uh, if the person that owns Joey Fazio without the 13 happens to listen to this and wants to be an awesome person and give me that, I'd love to uh, <laughs> drop the 13. But it's uh, Joey Fazio 13 mm-hmm. on Instagram. Uh, my email is joseph.fazio at gmail.com. And I'll field any questions that I get. I, I really do uh, take time to help people with uh, with what they're going through and make the right decisions, especially when it comes to mentoring and entrepreneurship. I don't want anything for it. it it's not about that. I just really believe in uh, giving forward and, and uh, helping uh, entrepreneurs reach their goals because I was once that guy with absolutely no support from anyone I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have anybody that did it. I didn't have a wife that supported me or parents that supported me. So, um, yeah, if you need that, you need that, you know, answer to that burning question, reach out and, uh, I'll, I'll help you as best I can. Very cool. My friend. All right. Last question. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and or success? Uh, because that's who you are and you should always stay true to who you are. You should never apologize for who you are or what you want to anyone. Okay. Now I do believe that, uh, we all have a moral compass and a moral obligation to be very respectful and mindful of others. If what you want directly, uh, affects people in a negative way and you know that going into it, maybe find a better way to get what you want. Um, but don't apologize, okay? There, there is a class system, if you will, and not everybody is meant to be on top. They're not, okay? We all have different personality types. We have different IQs. We have different roles to play in life. And there are people that need to work uh, the types of jobs, the service-related jobs. They're very integral um, in life. There's people that need to be independent. There's people that should be employers of many people, of few people. I mean, there's so many different roles that need to be played. If your role is that of uh, uh, someone who employs many people, I mean, if you're meant to be a leader, if you're meant to be 
a businessman or a woman or entrepreneur or politician, if you're, if you're meant to be that, then be that. Don't let anybody stop you. Don't doubt yourself. Um, and if, you know, if, if you get into situations where it's you or them and that's the situation and you come out on top, don't feel bad about it. Okay. Um, I know we live in a very PC uh, world today. Everything is very politically correct. And, um, you know, I think that sometimes entrepreneurs get a bad rap, but look at the end of the day, if we didn't have those people to get there, the pioneers, um, the people that fought to get where they're at, there also couldn't be those people to help everyone else. I mean, that's just life. There's winners, there's losers, and don't ever apologize uh, for being a winner. Of course, do it respectfully and mindfully. Do it with tact and purpose and you know, try and have a good moral compass. And But at the same time, look, you're going to regret not going all out if you don't. So Incredible answer. You're going to free so many people up to just go and pursue their path. I totally am so just grateful, Joey, that you opened up and shared so you know authentically and, and deeply and some pretty intimate stuff because I guarantee you have cracked an awful lot of people open and, and helped them take that next step. Well, thank you very much for having me. I, uh, I genuinely appreciate it. Absolutely my pleasure, and I wish you all the best. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.